Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and I have a question for you. Are you there? Are you listening? I sure hope so, because this month we have lots of exciting things to talk about. Off the bat, I will start with what is going on in the Mimiverse, and I have to tell you, it's a lot of exciting stuff. First off, we are just days away from being done with principal photography of the next great Mimiverse film, Wereskito Nazi Hunter. Yes, two days away. Two shoots. They're a little intricate. One of them is kind of long. But I'm excited because we are almost done. And I have almost a full half hour of the film finished and edited. This is my process. This is what I do while I film, because we film a lot of times on the weekends, because we all have day jobs. Late evenings, I will edit as we go. It's the only way I have been able to make a movie a year for 11 straight years. It's my process. It works for me. It may not work for everybody, but I'm a little ADHD in certain ways. And honestly, that's one of the things I love and I've always loved about making movies is that it gives me so many different things to do that my brain, which is always jumping all over the place, has lots of different things to keep it occupied. All of which lead toward the same product, that being the film at the end of it. And of course, once I finish one, I just have to move on to the next. So I'm really excited that we are this close with this film, which I began writing last November, and here we are at the end of April, almost May, May when you're hearing this, uh, and we're two days away from end of principal photography. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, what the heck is principal photography? It's a movie term, which just means the bulk of shooting the actual footage, which will then be edited down into the movie you will enjoy and own and share with all your friends. So this is a very exciting moment. I'll share with you a small story, though. We should have been a single day away from being done with principal photography, but we had an actor who shall remain nameless because I don't want to embarrass anybody. It was a new actor, someone who approached me and said, I really like to be in a movie, and, and they seemed very, very excited and enthusiastic, and I was excited for some new blood. But of course, here's the risk you run when you add new blood to anything, is you may not know that person well enough that you really know whether or not you can trust them to come through when you need them to, and sadly... Uh, this person did not come through when I needed them to, and perhaps it was all innocent. I won't get into the details, but let's just say that we had a day set aside to shoot one of the final scenes, and sadly, our actor backed out at the last moment. It happens. Life happens. Crap happens. And so I had to replace this actor with a different one, which I haven't shot that scene yet, but I will be doing so in less than 48 hours from the recording of this. So let's hope that guy shows up because I would really, really, really like to finish principal photography. See, as a filmmaker, I've always had this thing. When I'm making a movie, I get very nervous the moment I begin shooting it. Up until that moment, I could back out at any time and decide I don't want to make this movie. But in my head... The moment I bring all those people together, 
all the locations and the monster masks and the costumes and the people and the actors. Once I brought all those people together for that first day when I say action, the moment that happens, I am making that movie and I'm going to finish it unless something horrific happens. Say, I die. Or... One of our main actors doesn't survive for whatever reason. I know it's really dark to think that way, but it's it's the kind of thing that would actually take for me to stop making a movie. I suppose an actor quit halfway through, but here's the thing. If an actor did quit halfway through, I would just simply recast them, reshoot whatever I needed to, and make it work. Basically, the point is, the moment I begin shooting a movie, I'm going to finish that movie. It's a pact I've made with myself. And it's a pact I make with every single person who contributes, every single person who gives me their time or their money or their faith. The moment I start shooting that movie, I'm going to finish that movie come hell or high water. So I get very nervous on that first day. Because, honestly, the most nerve-wracking part for me of making any movie is principal photography, because that's when I have to work with other people, which sounds bad, like I don't want to work with other people, but no, it's not that. I love hanging out with people and shooting movies and, and the, the sort of artisticry, the art, artisticry? That is not a word. <laughs> the artistry and the collaboration that happens. And I'm sure some of you out there listening who have worked with me are like, <laughs> collaboration, my ass. It's that coming together to create something. But... That part of it is the most nerve-wracking simply because everyone has to be on the same page and working toward the same goal or else it just doesn't get done. Once I have all the footage, it's quite literally just on my shoulders to finish it. And so at that point, if it fails or it just never gets done, it's my fault. And that's, that's the point I want to get to. That's why I get so nervous that first moment we start shooting something, because then everything has to fall into place to make it to the end of principal photography, which often takes months. And it's also the reason why when I yell cut for that last time on that particular project, it's the greatest feeling ever, because I know, yeah, I still have a lot of work, but so what? Dang it. I'm going to finish that movie, and I it's it's on my shoulders and my... It's my responsibility to do so, and I'm going to do it. And all those people who have given me their time, money, etc., 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 I don't want to let them down. That's very important to me. And there have been times where I probably should have been doing other things, you know, like making money uh, to pay the bills or whatever. And you know what? I should have, but I've, I've survived this long doing what I'm doing, and I just don't want to freaking stop. I thought for a while there that maybe I would take a year off, and then I took about three months off and realized I hated it. And I felt weirdly useless. At least from a creative standpoint, I, I don't feel like a useless person. I have people who depend on me and responsibilities and family and friends and all those things. But creatively, I felt kind of weirdly useless. I often get into these little philosophical conversations on this little audio cast, but only because it's a nice way for me to think out loud, and express my gratitude to all of you for participating and, and listening and, heck, just being there and connecting with me, because you people rock. This process is hard, and it can be very soul-sucking, 
and um, emotionally draining. And yet, it's always rewarding. Honestly, it really is. Even if no one out there listens to me, and I'm sure there's at least five or six of you who do, even if even if it was no one, it's not going to stop me from putting it out there because why shouldn't I? Here's a funny thing. I saw something recently. I think it was someone posted on Facebook or social media of something somewhere on the Insta chats or the Snapgrams or whatever the kids are into these days. And they, they articulated something that I found particularly enlightening. Someone put a thing that said, if you make $10 an hour working, great. Most people look at that and say, I worked for an hour and I made 10 bucks. But few people actually look at it from a much darker perspective, and that is, you sold an hour of your life for $10, or 12 or minimum wage, or 50 or 100 The point is, you sold an hour of your life to someone else to do something that you probably didn't enjoy for probably not a lot of money. And there's something so depressing about that, but it's an interesting way to look at it. I feel very lucky to be able to do something that I enjoy so very much. You have to pay your dues. You have to work a crappy job sometimes to get by. But what's it worth? And what's the point if you're not happy? Sometimes I think that I'm going to have to give up this movie-making thing and go off and get myself a job, and I can never, ever think of anything I want to do other than this. And that's probably a problem. (laughs) But honestly, it's just I can't think of anything I want to sell my time to more than this. And my ridiculous pursuit of this creative endeavor means that I don't really have, well, I just, I don't have a lot of spare income. I buy used stuff. I don't take vacations. And that's the truth. I don't take vacations. Every quote unquote vacation I take is a working vacation, which is to say I travel somewhere for perhaps a convention and I work to make sure that that travel is covered and that I'm making a little money in the hopes of, you know, being able to travel more or continue making movies. But I don't ever travel just for pleasure to go somewhere and sit on a beach and throw my cell phone into the lake or the ocean or whatever. See how little I've traveled? I couldn't even think of a large body of water beyond a lake and I live in Minnesota. So, I mean, you know, I just have to walk 30 feet and I fall into one. But that's the truth. I have accepted this sort of lifestyle of not really having a lot of spare cash to throw around and really just kind of barely getting by. And I do it because in my head, that stuff doesn't even matter. I could take a bunch of expensive trips places or I could drive a really, really high-end car or I could have every video game system known to man, or I could whatever. I could spend a crap ton of money on a lot of useless stuff. It will never make me as happy as making movies and spending time with my children. And that's one of the reasons I include my kids in the making of my films. And I'm very excited that they are growing up around this, and they like it a lot, too. Heck, they're always begging me to put them in stuff and to let them help. And I do. Because it's family time, then. 
And so it becomes this thing that we do together. It's worth more than anything else in the world to me. I'm not saying you should just go out and quit your job if you have no money in the bank. But if there's something you love and there's something you want to do and you feel like you have some sort of calling, whatever it is, ask yourself if that hour of your life is worth what you're selling it for and to whom you are selling it to. And then figure out what's important. You know, sort of what's acceptable to you. There's nothing wrong if you're a person who wants all the finest things in life, who wants to go to expensive restaurants and experience these things. If that's what you're working for and that's what makes you happy, you should do that. But if you go to work every day and you kind of think to yourself, what is the point? Why am I doing this? I am unhappy. Stop. Step back and figure out what it is you want to do and do it. It seems like really simple advice, but the thing is, is that human beings seem to be built in such a way that we fight tooth and nail against doing what we want to, and then you get comfortable, and you make up a million excuses as to why you shouldn't, or why you can't, or why you don't, and then time passes by, life passes you by, and I learned that lesson, and I know this has gotten, well, extra philosophical, this episode, but there was a moment over a decade ago when I hadn't made a movie yet, and I really, really wanted to make one. Really bad. I thought about it a lot. I thought it'd be really, really fun. It sounded like something that would make me happy, and I wanted to try. But I could never get out of my own head. I could never get to a point where... I would just do it. I made up a million reasons why not. And then one day, my stepdaughter, Liz Kaiser, who you all should know because you've seen all the movies, I'm guessing. She was in many of my films. She's been in, she was the Alice Johnson at the beginning of Terror from Beneath the Earth. She uh, played the acolyte in Cave Women on Mars. She was in X the Fiend from Beyond Space. You know her, you've seen her. When she was 13, she was diagnosed with cancer, randomly, out of the blue. We all fought with it, of course. She had to do the hardest work, but things like that can change people and really puts things in perspective. Life is precious and fleeting and short, and you never know when your time will come. That being said, she is not, she's not dead. <laughs> it sounded like the wording there, like that's how I was going to end that story. It's not. Uh, she's good. She's 10 years out from uh, her final treatment, which means she is cured of that cancer. But when she was diagnosed, everything you thought was important stopped being important, honestly. And your priorities and the way you looked at the world just evaporated and changed overnight. And I had this epiphany, and yes, I'm making this about me only because this is, this is me explaining to you one of the things that really motivated me to do this. It's not about me. Her cancer battle was not about me, but this was one of those things that I took away from it. At the time, I was uh, in my 20s, late 20s, overweight, not particularly athletic, still am not, sadly, a guy who didn't necessarily take care of himself very well. And I had this moment where I said, holy crap, if this healthy 13-year-old athletic girl can just one day wake up and be like, I have cancer... I'm next. 
and I'm worse off than she is as far as being a healthy person. And so I had this moment where I said, you know what? I actually need to do this and not just say it, but do it because I might get cancer tomorrow. And then saying to myself, man, I should have made that stupid movie I wanted to make. Because no matter what you end up with, when you decide to make a film or paint that picture or record that song or whatever, it doesn't matter what you end up with. It matters that you tried. It matters that you put yourself out there. It matters that you took the time doing what you wanted to do. If you're out there and you're a person who likes my movies and is thinking about making a movie or doing something creative or just thinking about climbing that mountain, I don't know, whatever it is, don't sit around and not do it. Don't just think about it. If it's going to make you happy and you're not hurting anybody in the process, do it. Life is very short and you only get one chance. Don't waste it. There's an old interview I did with Justin Overlander, who you may know from such films as House of Ghosts and Monster of Phantom Lake. And he was interviewing me, and it's a special feature on the Attack of the Moon Zombies DVD. And one of the things I said, which I, I want to reiterate, which is there are a million reasons why not. It's expensive, or it's this, or it's that. You can find a million reasons why you should not do something. Just find the one why and do it. If I can make 11 movies in 11 years, there's no freaking reason why you can't do whatever it is you want to do. You want to learn to dance? Go learn to dance. You want to join a curling team? Do it. I, I encourage you. It's a great sport. I enjoy it. Uh, you want to write a song but don't know how to play any instruments? Go buy a cheap guitar at the thrift store and figure it out. Just put your time and energy into it. That's the thing. If you have the drive to do it and you really, really want to do it, you got to try. If you don't try, you'll never know. And then what? You're just selling your life. And is it worth it? All the things around you, the things, the stuff you cling to, is it worth it? In the end, is it worth it? Is your life more fulfilled in some way if you own lots of crap? that someday will be completely useless? Okay. To steer the uh, bus back on the road, principal photography of Weresquito Nazi Hunter is almost complete, and don't forget, you can still and are encouraged to contribute to the film. Post-production, which is the stage that happens between finishing principal photography and releasing the film, is still actually one of the most time-consuming and financially rough parts of the entire process. So anything you contribute now is still going to go to good use. We need to get a theater for the premiere. We need to get the DVDs. We need to get all this stuff. Making these movies ain't cheap. If I had money to spare uh, to throw around and, you know, if I was independently wealthy, I would gladly never ask you to contribute. But because I am not and because... These things just don't happen in a vacuum. And because you love them and you want to see more, please contribute. Not only will you get a copy of the film or 
a ticket to the premiere, which you must come to the premiere at least once. It's it's an amazing time. It really is. It's not like just going to a movie. It's it's something special. Ask anyone who's gone, and they'll tell you. You'll get a copy of the film, ticket to the premiere, maybe one of the two, or you can buy both. You get your name or whatever name or whatever you want credit in the credits of the film, and you'll get a cool frameable certificate that says you participated. And your name will forever be associated with my film. And my film, hopefully, will never cease to exist. That's the hope, anyway. I want my movies to live forever. Even after I'm gone, let's hope that they're still out there on the internet somewhere, and people own them on DVD or whatever. Someday, in the far-off future, people can just download them right into their brains and enjoy. God, that sounds creepy. <laughs> From the perspective of the early 21st century, it just sounds creepy, the idea of downloading crap into your head. I mean, you all have phones and computers and stuff, right? And tablets. You ever seen what happens to a computer or a tablet or something that gets a really bad virus? Can you imagine that in people's brains? I mean, think about what hackers could do. Think about it. That is some scary stuff. So please, contribute to Wearskeeto Nazi Hunter by going to wearskeeto.com. In other cool, fun news, The Monster of Phantom Lake the Musical is gearing up for its big debut this July. The event will be happening from July 21st through the 24th in Menominee, Wisconsin, which is not too far from Minneapolis-St. Paul. We are going to do some really cool, fun stuff. The cast and the orchestra has completed the original cast recording which we will be releasing on CD and for download when the play debuts. Just a lot of cool stuff is going to be happening very, very quickly with that now because we've gotten to the phase now where they're having production meetings and they're talking about sets and it's coming and it's coming sooner than you realize. So, I mean, it's like we're talking three months and, and it debuts. It's going to be amazing. I mean, really, really amazing. The work that Adam Bowl and... and and Mike Cook and, and Ruby Gallinati and all the folks who've been working on this have done. The hard work they put into this is fantastic. I've been rather hands-off up to this point. I'm going to be a little more hands-on going forward just because my expertise is more in the... We're making a DVD out of the play. Also, I'm doing a lot of the graphic design and all that. I mean, my strengths. Basically, over the next couple of months, a lot is going to be happening. I'm going to be talking about it a lot more. One of the things we will be doing soon is pre-selling tickets. It's going to be super cool. you got to go. It's going to be amazing. And in an amazing theater that you should see. If you're at all interested in theater, you should go and see a show at this theater. The Mabel Tainter is one of the most beautiful theaters literally in the world. It's been voted as such several places. It's one of those things, if you like theater, you need to be there and experience this. I had a meeting with Adam Bull. Adam Bull is the guy who wrote all the music and has been spearheading all of this. And one of the things we talked about, which we thought would be kind of fun if we can get enough people interested, is the show runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday would be a matinee. All the other ones would be at night. We're talking about doing a, a fun thing because I know there are some folks who are coming in to see it from out of state. And more than likely, they'll be here for the Saturday night event. Well, we talked about doing something special where if we got enough people interested, we would rent a party bus. 
Basically, we would offer packages, right? It wouldn't just be a ticket to the play. You would actually get a VIP ticket package, which would be the, the VIP experience package. There would be a party bus that would give you a ride to and from Minneapolis-St. Paul. So if you're flying in or if you're coming in and staying there, it's much easier just to go to Minneapolis-St. Paul than to then go to Menominee, which is about an hour away by car into Wisconsin. It's a straight shot, but it's still, if you're not from this area, it's it's probably going to be more confusing than not. We would rent a party bus. And of course, the big bonus of a party bus is that if you feel like partaking in spirits, as it were, you can, and you don't have to worry about driving. Halfway there would be at Hudson, Wisconsin, which is on the outskirts of the Twin Cities, right over the border of Wisconsin. And there's a fine little restaurant there called uh, the Windsor Stube. Stube. It's an amazing German restaurant. Adam and I have met there several times when we've been doing these meetings uh, about this event, but also it's just a great restaurant. It's my favorite German restaurant in the entire country. It's set up like a German Keller bar, so it's underground. The food is amazing, made by real German people from Germany. That's one of the best parts, is that it's authentic and it's fantastic. Part of the package would be that... You get a ride, you get to stop here for dinner, uh, and and the price of your dinner would be included into the package. Uh, you'd be on your own for drinks, but you would at least get dinner, uh, and we'd have a whole menu that you could pick from. Uh, you would get a ride to the, the play, uh, where you would get tickets to the play. Uh, you get to see it, and then afterwards, you'd get a special... Uh, get to be part of a special little party that would allow you to meet and greet the cast and crew, hang out with Adam and I, and just get a little VIP special treatment for being a part of this this thing. It comes down to, if we can get enough people to do it, and the number we threw out is 20. If we can get 20 people who are interested in this, we will do it. But it's like one of those those online coupon things where you have to get a certain number of people or it doesn't actually work. If we get at least 20 people, we'll do it. If we get 40 people, it'll actually be cheaper because the party bus gets bigger and cheaper. So if we can get 20 people, fantastic. It'll cost you, say, X amount. If we get 40 people, you'll probably save 10 bucks and a lot more people are going to have a lot more fun. So... If you are at all interested in that, let's talk um, here soon. I will be setting up a website specifically for buying tickets for the Monster Phantom like the musical, and uh, that one will be included, the VIP experience. So let's hope that we can can make that happen. Again, it's going to depend on numbers. That will be for the Saturday evening show, and it will be epic, and you should be there. I will be there to greet you, I will meet you there for dinner, and of course I will be there to hang out with you after the show. I'll be at the show, of course, too, but I'll be hanging out with you after the show. You should do it. So be on the lookout for more of the Monster Phantom Lake, the musical information that will be coming up very soon. You're going to get sick of hearing about it here soon, but you should totally be there, because it will be amazing, and you do not want to miss it. So beyond that... We have some other things in the works. 
And I can't really go into too much detail right now about what those things are. But rest assured, they are really cool. I sincerely cannot wait to share them with you. Some of which is going to be, some of these things are going to be really big, really cool surprises that probably only a handful of people even have heard of. Uh, But they're going to be super cool. And stuff that you may not even expect. And I'm not even going to release information about it. I'm just going to tease you until I can actually say, oh, by the way, this is a thing and you should enjoy it. Oh, my God. Can you believe it's actually happening? But it's happening. So there's that. Nice and cryptic. And that is what is going on in the Mimiverse. Before I send it off to Dr. Bob Tesla of Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob for his amazing quote-unquote joke of the month, I want to take this moment to thank Dr. Bob Tesla, Nurse Faratu, and his entire staff and crew who hosted the 24-hour Mimathon this past month. I was there, and it was amazing. It was life-changing. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. It was... If you weren't there, you seriously missed one of the coolest things. It was surreal to fall asleep uh, in a movie theater. It was strange to be there for 24 straight hours and lose all track of time because there were no windows. But all things considered, everyone who went was super friendly. I fell asleep during Destination Outer Space and woke up with a Oculon poking me in the gut. It was really fun. A handful of people made it through the entire night and saw every film and Everyone who did that actually got a six-month free membership to the Mimiverse fan club. So welcome aboard, all of you new fan club members. I hope you received your welcome packets, and I hope to uh, see you taking advantage of your free shipping and other fun stuff that will be coming along. There will be some other cool stuff coming along very soon. So again, thank you, uh, Dr. Bob and Nurse Faratu, for everything you did. Uh, I can't thank you enough, honestly, for what turned out to be such an amazing and fun event that truly I will never forget. And I'm going to tell everybody about whenever I get the chance because it was so cool and so strange and so fun. And before I turn the show over to Dr. Bob to tell us another one of his quote unquote amazing jokes, I am going to, I've said amazing a lot in this episode. I don't know why. It seems to be my my word of the month, I guess. Uh, if you're doing a, a drinking game, you should go back, start over, and whenever I say amazing, take a drink. Which I just said it again. Amazing is your, your code word to drink, or if this were Pee Wee's Playhouse, your secret word and is your cue to scream. Amazing. Before we go to Dr. Bob, I have three Amazon.com reviews They're very short this month. First, we will start, as we always do, with the giant spider. Because the giant spider is still my most popular and most reviewed and viewed film. Therefore, it just gets the brunt of the hate. And some of the love. I mean, it gets a lot of love, too. Uh, As of right now, five-star reviews. Five-star reviews are outcounting one-star reviews by, uh, you know, 6%. And... Again, it seems like people either love it or they hate it. It's either five stars or one. You get the occasional four, three, two, just not very many. Uh, Most of the time it's uh, five or one. 
there's just so so little middle ground when it comes to Amazon. Anyway, this this month we have but a one star review by someone named Jordan. One star, and they they titled it "Pass This By," and the review goes beyond cheesy. Don't waste your time or money. First off, I'd like to thank you, Jordan, for wasting your time and money. I I hate to break it to you. If you're a fan of my films and you've watched more than one, you would know that Beyond Cheesy is not an insult by any stretch of the imagination. Beyond Cheesy is one of the best things you could ever say about a film of the Mimiverse. So, thank you. I think you got the star thing wrong, though. Five stars is what you give something you really like. One star uh, means you didn't like it. I, I can't tell. Beyond Cheesy... Thank you. Of course, I'm being snarky and sarcastic here, but if you can't laugh uh, at people telling you you suck, what can you do? All right, so now let's go to uh, Cave Women on Mars. Uh, This is a very short one, but it's five stars. And it goes like this. Campy. Okay, yes, it is campy, and it got five stars, so they obviously liked it. Fantastic. Amazing. You're welcome. Last, we have the most recent review of The Monster of Phantom Lake. This is another five-star review, and this one says, Campy Excellence. So this is even better on the campiness scale than Cave Women on Mars. They're both campy, but this one has campy excellence. I'll take it. Beyond Cheesy and Campy Excellence. See, these are all things I want when people watch my movies. Not so much people saying don't waste your time and money, but please, waste your time and money. You may find that it's not a waste at all. And in fact, you have a really fantastic, amazing time. And afterwards, you'll feel amazing. And you'll think to yourself, wow, that was an amazing experience. I am amazed I don't know if you could technically drink when I say amazed. I think I have to say amazing. (gasps) I just did. And with that, we will turn it over to Dr. Bob Tesla of Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob, which you can learn more about by going to MidnightMonsterMovies.com. He has another amazing joke to share with you. When we come back, we have Chapter 15 of the ongoing Canoe Cops vs. The Mummy serial. I will talk to you very shortly. (laughs) <laughs> it is I, Dr. Bob Tesla, with your Mimiverse Joke of the Month. A man is flying in a hot air balloon, and he realizes he's lost. He sees a man down below, so he lowers the balloon and shouts down to him, Excuse me, can you tell me where I am? The man down below looks up and says, Yes, you're in a hot air balloon, about 30 feet off the ground. The balloonist looks down at him and says, You must work in IT. I do. How did you know? Well, everything you have told me is technically correct, but it's of no practical use to anyone. The man on the ground says, You must be a corporate manager. I am, replies the balloonist. How did you know? Well, you don't know where you are or where you're going, but you expect me to be able to help. You have the same problem you had before we met, but now it's my fault. A big thank you to everyone who came out to the Mimathon last month. It was a great time. Now come on out to the Gateway Film Center on May 14th for Captain America. 
no, not Civil War. No, it's not the first Avenger. No, it's not Winter Soldier. It's the 1990 Captain America, directed by Albert Pune, and we will be having the director's cut of it. Tickets are free. Check us out at www.midnightmonstermovies.com. Thank you, Dr. Bob. Your jokes are always amazing. And now we are back with the Canoe Cops versus the Mummy ongoing serial. This is Chapter 15, Incident at Phantom Lake, a.k.a. Chaos on the Water. Written, of course, by Stephen D. Sullivan. Uh, I encourage you to check out Mr. Sullivan's Patreon at CushingHorrors.com. C-U-S-H-I-N-G-H-O-R-R-O-R-S.com. Slip the guy a couple bucks, let him know you like what you hear uh, and that you want more. It's hard out here for us independent creators, and, and Stephen has been so kind in, in spending time in my universe crafting this amazing little story. And I would love it if you guys out there could, uh, you know... Just give the man some love, either monetarily or at least just tell him how much you like what it is he does and what he has done with these iconic Mimiverse characters. Check him out, CushingHorrors.com, Stephen D. Sullivan, or go to StephenDSullivan.com. Just tell him how awesome he is, because he is. Anyway, here we go with Canoe Cops vs. The Mummy, Chapter 15, Incident at Phantom Lake. My head is ringing like the inside of the Liberty Bell, and my whole body aches, but I know I can't bail out at this point, because if I do, Julie Browning is a goner, and there's no way I'm going to let that happen. I watch Sven Svensson's dodge pull away, but only for a moment. Then I turn and run as fast as I can through the buildings nestled along the waterfront, heading for the pier where the Lady Newbury is docked. I pray to God that Sven will follow my last order and bring every canoe cop he can round up to help me rescue Julie. Svensson's a good patrolman, but he seemed a little skeptical of my story. I can hardly blame him. A living mummy kidnapping people in Phantom Lake? In this day and age? I gotta admit, it doesn't seem very plausible. Hell, I wouldn't have believed it myself if I hadn't seen the thing with my own eyes. But I did see the mummy, and I've got the bumps and bruises to prove it. I was lucky to get out of that flipped patrol car pretty much unscathed. My best pal, Nicky Sheridan, acting chief of the Phantom Lake PD, wasn't so lucky. As I run, I hope that Sven gets her to the hospital safely, and that she'll be okay. And if she's not, I'll make sure that mummy sees her in hell, I think. I've got the same infernal intentions toward that bandage-wrapped brute if he's harmed a single hair on Julie Browning's pretty head. Stay positive, I remind myself. Whatever that thing's got up its rotting sleeves, you'll get there in time. You have to. But is the mummy itself responsible for this kidnapping? Or is someone else pulling its strings? I don't have time to figure that out right now because Pier 55 is dead ahead and... The Lady Newbury's gone. I stand there for a few seconds, gaping like an idiot. The canoe paddle I borrowed from Sven hanging limply in my clenched fist. The dock where the big showboat sat where just earlier this evening Julie and I attended Wild Bill Corman's premiere party, is empty. Totally empty. Like the entire shindig was just some big Hollywood show, and now they've struck the sets and carted the whole thing off. How? Could Corman be behind the kidnapping, I wonder? Could it be some kind of publicity stunt? Then I shake my head. No. Publicity stunts don't flip police cars over like they were a box of Cracker Jacks. That realization clears my cloudy head a bit. A boat, especially one as big as the Newbury, doesn't just disappear. I turn my eyes out to the glassy black waters of Phantom Lake. 
The crescent moon peeks out from behind a cloud, and I spot her. There she sits, big as life, out near the center of the huge body of water. Somehow, the Lady Newbury has gotten loose and drifted away from the wharf. Or somebody cut her loose. She looks like a black leviathan looming out there, like the mythical Phantom Lake monster, and there's something red and glowing inside. Torchlight? What makes the ship's windows seem to blink as I peer at her? I'm in trouble now, because the Newbury's a long way out, and though we're in early summer, the lake water is still pretty darn cold. Sure, I'm a strong swimmer, all canoe cops have to be, but if my lady love is in danger of her life on that boat, there's no way I can swim to her before things get dire, or maybe even fatal. To make matters worse, there are no canoes stationed up at this end of the wharf, and it's too early in the season for a night patrol to paddle by, and Canoe Cops HQ is more than a mile down the lakeshore. I don't have time for any of these complications, but at least I still have my trusty borrowed paddle. Frantically, I start looking around. I mean, this is the waterfront, right? There has to be some kind of skiff or something I can commandeer, doesn't there? My rotten luck keeps running true to form, and I find zip until I hear something bumping against one of the pier's big wooden pylons. I look down, and there it is, half hidden under the dock. My salvation. It's the worst rowboat I've ever seen. It looks like it's made out of driftwood, and there's at least two inches of water in the bottom. I think it belongs to Burl, that guy that got killed, maybe by this same mummy, a couple of days back. At least I know the previous owner won't be needing it anytime soon. Beggars can't be choosers, so I untie the wreck from the dock and hop in. The splashback, as I do, soaks me pretty thoroughly, and the dang thing nearly overturns, but I manage to keep the dinghy on an even keel somehow. Naturally, this heap doesn't have a motor or sail or even any oars, but I've got the paddle I borrowed from Sven. The only thing a canoe cob needs in this world is his paddle, and his best girl, so I'm set on one and heading out to save the other. I dig in like I'm trying to win the Canoe Cop International Paddling Championship and head for the drifting showboat. Burl's crappy skiff begins shipping water immediately, but I press on. I don't have time to sit and bail. My arms feel like lead and the boat is full of water nearly to the gunnels by the time I reach the Lady Newbury. The big vessel's still not under power, just drifting, and the only light is the torchlight, or whatever it is, flickering from inside. The whole thing looks like some kind of ghost ship. The rowboat literally disintegrates as I step off of it, and the waterlogged pieces sink into the black depths of Phantom Lake. At least it got me this far. The moon peeks out from behind some clouds again as I board the showboat, so at least I've got enough light to see by. The reflections of the moon off the water cast eerie, dancing shadows all around me. I quickly find the door that Julie and I used to enter the exhibit room earlier in the evening, it's not locked, thank heaven, and I slip silently inside, my weapon at the ready, grateful for all the hours I spent training in paddle-based combat, another canoe cop specialty. I see now that the flickering red illumination isn't torches, but a big brazier set into the center of the exhibit hall. In the firelight, the whole thing looks like an Egyptian tomb, or maybe a temple. On the far side of the brazier sits a big wooden table, all decked out in gold and ancient-style paintings like an altar. Two people are standing near it. One is Hawass, dressed in a jazzy red robe, like he's a high priest or something. Right next to him is that scantily clad Egyptian girl I saw at the party earlier. Around her lovely throat dangles the necklace that Hawass gave to Julie two days back. 
the nearly naked girl is smiling like the cat about to eat the canary, and tied to the altar, in front of the two fiends, lies Julie Browning. She's awake and struggling, and shouting stuff like, Get away from me, you so-and-so. When I get out of these ropes, I'm going to kick your backsides. I can't blame her for the harsh language, because just as I enter the room, Hawass raises this jeweled dagger high above his head as he chants some crazy mumbo-jumbo. It looks like he's about to plunge that knife right into Julie's lovely bosom, and I'm too far away to reach them before he does. So I throw my paddle. The well-tempered piece of lumber whooshes across the intervening space and clobbers Hawass smack-dab in the face. The insane archaeologist gasps and reels backwards. He falls to the floor, knocked for a loop. The knife tumbles out of his hand and spins through the air, falling right toward Julie. Thunk. It lands point-first in the wooden altar, about an inch from her forearm. Julie's baby blues go wide. Rich, she cries. Hang tough, babe. I'm coming, I call back. Kill him, the Egyptian dish yells, pointing at me. I take a quick step forward, almost laughing, because if she expects Hawass to do the job, she's going to be disappointed. I clobbered that creep, but good. Without warning, powerful hands grab me from behind. The smell hits me almost as hard as the grip. A weird blend of ancient spices, old linen, and mold. The mummy. I'd forgotten about the damn mummy. Kill him, Rahotep, the evil girl in the nightgown commands. Prove your undying love for me and kill him. The mummy begins to squeeze. The world starts to spin. And I know that this is all she wrote. Julie and I are going to die here, at the hands of folks who should have perished 3,000 years ago. And the only one who's going to hear this particular confession as to how it all went down is Almighty God himself. This is, this is amazing. I love, I love this. All right, next uh, is Doomed. That's the next episode, next month. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am, as always, your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim. And uh, before I go, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you again soon. (laughs) 